Hello and welcome. The following is a conversation with Claudia Figueras, a researcher and doctoral student of ethics of AI at the Department of Computer and System Sciences of Stockholm University. Her work focuses on the study of how AI practitioners interpret and apply ethics in their work practices. I was deeply honored that she agreed to participate in this podcast. I am Abit Fayaz, and this is the AI Pod. I hope that you enjoy the program. Uh, let's start with a relatively big question. Then. Uh, why is it important to study ethics in AI? Yeah, this is a very broad question. And of course, you're asking me who I'm, I'm doing my PhD on the ethics of AI, so... I think I can talk about this topic for hours, but if I have to summarize it, I think that this, in my opinion, is essential to study ethics of AI and in all stages of development of AI. So even from early design stages throughout and also like once the AI systems are deployed. And this is because AI systems are already being implemented in the world. And even though they have the capacity to make a lot of benefits, they are also doing some harms and also like it can potentially even make more more harms in society so it's it's very important that we actually take that into account even from early stages because otherwise we see like what is happening i can i can tell you for example about specific examples um there's like this uh, there's a very famous study called the gender shades by uh, timmy gibru and joe bulamini uh, who studied different uh, software that were used for facial recognition. Uh, I think it was from Amazon and IBM. And what they found in that study is that there was uh, racial bias because uh, women of color had much more um, percentage of error, so they were much more misrecognized than, let's say, for example, white men. So errors like that, they could have a great impact on society because being misrecognized, for example, in a facial recognition system could mean that, for example, when you are going through airport security, you are misrecognized, you are misidentified as another person, and that could cause you a harm. So this is just a tiny example. I imagine like other systems that may be applied in the public sector, for example. Like um, That's something I'm very interested in my PhD, because I, I thought that AI systems that are maybe in the private sector, of course, they can have an impact, but the public sector AI systems, they, they affect basically all citizens of a country. For example, systems that decide if someone should get social benefits or systems that decide, for example, if someone is eligible for uh, job unemployment benefits. Um, so imagine that, for example, there would be a bias in that system. It would cause, for example, like a discrimination for a very high percentage of people. So... But, uh, and... Yeah. If we go a bit deeper on the current impacts of AI on society, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the very complex uh, AI structures and systems that are uh, coming out these days and are very exciting for people to study, but very simpler stuff, uh, it can be AI algorithms that learn about people. Uh, what have been the impacts so far, do you think? And do you, would you consider them to be a net positive or a, ne a negative? The, the answer is it depends. <laughs> it depends a lot on the area and the specific system that we are talking about. So, of course, there's a, like, a lot of systems that are already being implemented from healthcare, for example. I can think of IBM Watson, for example, or like uh, systems that are being used for helping diagnose, for example, different diseases and also in transportation with like self-driving cars or, for example, like road optimization as well as in finance, banking, or as I was mentioning before, in, in the public sector, right? So there's many AI systems, especially I think like systems that help to take decisions are becoming more and more common. And of course, we have a very kind of hot example, which is ChatGPT, right? Which is <laughs> a system that nowadays is causing a lot of, um, I would say, maybe concern and as well as maybe uh, discussion, like maybe good discussion too on the topic. So there's a lot of impacts. I would say that some of them are, are very good, but some of them could also be like quite detrimental. And what worries me the most is that many of these harms 
tend to affect the most the people who are already in disadvantage in society. So, for example, groups that are already, uh, for example, as I'm like, for example, minorities, um, groups that are like racialized groups, um, immigrants, for example. So those groups tend to be the groups that more that receive the most negative impact. So in a way, it's like we are um, we are exacerbating. We are making the current society harms even worse. So therefore, I think that it's very important to try to put these people on the center and try to, when, they, when we design or when we develop AI systems, to try to think first about them because they are the population that are most at risk of receiving these harmful outcomes. And what are the causes of this uh, disparagement and these differences that are... Uh, caused in these systems? Why are minorities uh, at such a point that th these AI systems can cause more harm to them compared to the uh, general public? There, there are many, many reasons. One, one of them, which is like the first one that came to mind, for example, is that um, a lot of it comes from the data. So many of these data sets are biased and they do, do not represent all society groups, for example. This is also, for example, uh, something else that could be that is that um, many of the people that are behind development or making decisions around, for example, which system should be developed or which system should not be developed um, may also not represent these groups. Um, so it's also a matter of what, in, for example, because I'm more in the, between social science and ethics, what we call like people in power. So those ones are tend not to be, of course, the people that are in these minorities. So in a way, it's very, it's kind of easy for them maybe to forget that there could be such groups. Um, there's also, for example, like a big problem with uh, in currently in AI systems is um, like, for example, like how do we interpret ethical guidelines? Because there's a lot of, a lot already of ethical principles that are on place, like that they are done, for example, by by the public sector, by governments, by the European European Commission, for example. There's the ethics guidelines for trustworthy AI. There's also like many codes of ethics that companies develop, um, but it's not clear how exactly they are used. Um, there's this very nice review of um, co codes of ethics um, that is, I forgot now what's the name of the, I think Anna Jobin is the first author of the paper, by and it's published in, nature, I think it's called machine intelligence, that they review um, the most common codes of ethics, for example, of many countries. And what they found also is that these codes of ethics are mostly published by what is called the global north. So countries that are mostly located in, so it will be mostly like Western countries and the US, for example. So there's also a bias in that sense that we also like forgot to include basically like almost all the population in the world, which is located in the in the global south. But don't you think that there's also this element that certain governments are more concerned with these issues uh, compared to others? And these uh, systems are so disruptive that if one government de uh, develops one of them, it can give them an advantage, leading to the ones that are more cautious with these systems to fall slightly behind. So there's also a balancing act that mm -hmm. needs to be taken into consideration? Yeah, there's a lot of debate about this. And yeah, if I can name countries, I know that there's, for example, a lot of debate, for example, about China, which is a country that perhaps from the Western point of view, many people could argue that it's not democratic or at least it doesn't follow the same principles of democracy as, uh, as in Europe, um, or at least some, yeah, like, like especially like yeah, European Union countries. And there's a lot of debate. if we should let them develop systems that they don't follow maybe the same ethical principles as systems in the EU follow. But I tend to disagree with this view um, because I think that it's, it's better to act more, to act responsibly and to start doing things well from the beginning instead of acting more as a reactive way, you know, instead of waiting for the AI systems to behave in a way that it's not aligned with our principles and then we have to go and fix them. I think it's better to act more uh, as a way that, you know, by principle and by showing others that actually you can develop very good systems even within being within these ethical limitations. And 
you say when you say we don't have to act in a reactive way, I think mostly about the impacts of social media uh, on society. That's very simple. Algorithms have had a very deep impact on our behavior, and it was because we weren't uh, thinking of the negative impacts from the beginning and uh, suddenly realized after a number of years that they were very deeply impacting society with false information. AI has the capability to even boost that even further. Mm -hmm. So it is, I think, really important to have that from the beginning and to take that into consideration. But at the very same time, the issue with these uh, bots and false information uh, sources is that they come from countries that are uh, not necessarily just China, but uh, countries that have a tendency to try to disrupt other societies. Mm -hmm. So what measures can be taken, do you think, uh, as an ethical standpoint from uh, the countries that are trying to uh, implement these uh, systems in such a manner that are uh, positive for society mm -hmm. to prevent those negative effects in their societies? No, that's a, that's a good point because, of course, like even that maybe you try your best from the beginning, it could still be that these issues happen. And many times it's not like also like developers themselves have the maybe that they were conscious of this of this that they were having for example such biases, um, but and of course like some things have to be repaired along the way or as I'm, as I was mentioning this reactive way, um, but but there's still like some some principles that I believe that should be should be followed. Um, I would say that for example like principles such as justice and fairness. That should be like one of the main things that we should think about. So it's like to whom are these systems being developed to? Like who is it going to benefit? Who is it going to be harmed? That should be something that should be very thoroughly designed and think through before, even in the first phases of development. Um, of course, the systems have, a, have to be also very technically robust and to be safe and, and for example, that's something that could happen like quite easy, like some uh, cyber attacks, for example, or maybe like data leakage. Um, so it would be essential that we try to actually to make the systems very robust. I know that, for example, I think like it's Facebook and Google that they have some, some something called red teams, right? That they work uh, towards the security of those systems. And I would argue that that's also like very important that it, they are like very thoroughly tested and that should be also like continuously monitored because of course new threats can come at any point so they have to be continuously monitored and checked and that that is fulfilled and and then then there is like for example I'm thinking of the other principles that many guidelines have like such as transparency for example that's a that's something that I know it's, it causes also some controversy because there's many of these principles I'm outlining, like fairness, justice, technical robustness, all of that. Sometimes they can be a bit in tension. I, uh, that's something that I've been focusing quite much in my PhD, what I call like um, uh, ethics, ethical tensions or value tensions, which is that perhaps sometimes to be able to apply one principle, you have to maybe let go from another system a bit more. So, for example, there's a tension between being transparent but at the same time with privacy, right? You want to protect, for example, in the case of um, healthcare, it's very important to protect patients' privacy, right? Um, at least in, I know that in, in Sweden and in probably many EU countries, healthcare data is considered very sensitive data. So it's very important to be very diligent in how to safeguard the data, like to keep it in store in improper places um, so privacy is like a fundamental value but then there is also the issue of like of transparency for example like how do we make these systems um, in a way like transparent with like um, the people that are creating the systems and the ones that are receiving the the effects of that how do we make it so that they understand that the systems right and that there's AI systems in place what are the systems about um, so there should be also like some kind of education also that, that's something I really believe on that we should really strengthen like to uh, that for everyone to understand what is AI, what are AI systems, what are these different systems, um, what kind of impacts could they cause and also what could citizens do. That's also something that I feel like there's currently lucky, right? I think many people, they feel like 
they are out of control. Like they don't really know what systems are there. They don't know what what they can do. The, uh, if they can contest, uh, if they can go against. And I, uh, there is this element, especially when it comes to the health sector, uh, because it's the perhaps the most intimate part of information, personal information that people have. That AI can in fact improve uh, privacy. But I think because of these misconceptions that exist within society, there is a lack of a bridge of knowledge between the realities of the technology that can be completely automated so as to uh, ensure that no human or no mm -hmm. other human uh, goes through your data. Uh, but people uh, on a general basis of uh, studies, number of different studies have shown that have a lack of trust towards it nonetheless. How do you think we should bridge that gap? Is it just through time? Will we adapt to it? Or should we have very broader discussions at different levels? I think that broader discussions are fundamental. So not only, for example, I would say that we, wish we should include in the school curriculum, like already from early ages, and try to explain it maybe to kids in a very, very simple language. I would say that, yeah, maybe not like very young kids, but maybe like, for, him, for example, like late primary education, for example, that could be something, and even to reinforce it through secondary education. And, and also, I'm thinking like, for example, I remember like some years ago, um, and I remember that the Swedish government sent like some, it was something I call like what to do in, ca in case of crisis, for example, and it was to everyone. And I thought like, oh, maybe they could do the same with AI too, for example, like to have like uh, simpler explanations and to make sure that everyone reads it, for example. Um, that, that could be something that, I that is done and even like that maybe politicians try to, to make that um, more like a, as a matter of concern, right? Um, and also then maybe also like in, so not only like in, in that sense to all, to all citizens, but also for example, when in the case of public sector um, AI systems, um, that we inform the citizens whenever an AI system is causing something to them, is like using, for example, their data, especially when it's like what they'll call like high stakes decisions, so decisions that could have a big impact on, on someone's life. I think they should be able to tell citizens that they are using those systems so that citizens could themselves get informed about what are the risks with, with these systems, for example, and what would be the difference that a human decides over me versus an AI, because there could be differences also. So I think the, that, yeah, giving information to citizens should be, like, for me, it's like almost like a fundamental right. Like, they, they should be informed. But don't you think that, because fundamentally, government is known to be, especially democratic governments, are, have a small, uh, slow process. So mm -hmm. they take their time for going through the uh, different arguments. And these systems are very disruptive. They come at a very high and fast pace. And... I think that there is this sense of erosion that exists right now, that these systems are taking over many different sectors and many governments have had different types of failures depending mm -hmm. on the government in adapting to them and at the, at the same time, as you mentioned, informing their citizens about their impacts. Now, of course, I think the European Union has relatively uh, been better and uh, front-footed in yep. uh, mm. taking care of this. But generally, do you have any concerns about this fast pace of innovation? A little bit. Yeah, I think, um, I think it, yeah, as I mentioned before, I think that it should be really aligned with what we value as society. Because I think that if that's not the case and there could be like the potential that these systems start behaving in ways that we don't expect, for example, or ways that could harm people, it could cause distrust. And then I don't think it's a good idea that <laughs> society in large distrust AI systems um, because it would be basically like, it would really, it would be a shame because it would make it that people would not use them. And there would be even like ways for them to maybe try to... Um, you know, to try to, yeah, I was thinking now, I don't know how, what's the term, but I remember that there's, for example, some people that tried not to be 
um, scanned by facial recognition systems by using, for example, different glasses or, uh, for example, using a mask, for example. I remember that they used that, for example, in back in the Hong Kong demonstrations, for example. So I could imagine that that could be, for example, like a bit like dystopian future, right? That if people don't trust these systems, they could start getting in the ways that, you know, like they to fight <laughs> against <laughs> against them. So I would rather that this doesn't happen, right? So um, I I would say that we should let yeah, this part of transparency and, and education. Uh, I would say it would be very important for that to to avoid that happening. And now that you mentioned the masks and this slightly dystopian future, uh, if we have to mention 1984, I think we'll always <laughs> in these contexts. Uh, but do you see any risks of these AI systems helping authoritarian regimes? I think they are helping to different exactly. degrees authoritarian regimes, but even more democratic governments to become slightly more authoritarian and slight, uh, start adapting these systems in their government systems. Definitely. I mean, there's like already like predictive policing systems, for example, that are used to prevent or like to predict if someone will commit a crime, which are systems that have been shown... I think they implemented them both in the US and the Netherlands. I'm not aware of other countries, but I'm sure that they probably are. And I know that these systems are very racially biased, for example. And so, yeah, it could turn a government in that sense more authoritarian and more discriminative towards different collectives. And there's also, for example, the case of the use of AI in the military. So, for example, there's like these autonomous weapons that could be used, that I know that there's many people that are against <laughs> them because that that could cause like <laughs> a lot of harm. And and then and then of course like uh, systems that could potentially be good, they they could also like be turned into a more like as you were saying like 1984 dystopian, depending on for which purpose you use them. That's why I really emphasize this idea of like keeping our values very clear and. If we want to keep democracy, okay, then we should really strengthen AI systems to be aligned with what we consider to be a democracy. Now, we've mentioned data bias a number of times. We mentioned Timnit Gebru. Mm -hmm. uh, how, and we have to uh, note that the problem with deep learning algorithms and these more complex AI structures is that, as researchers like to call it, they're black boxes, basically. So we create a system of neural networks that, and we tell them how they should uh, take in a large amount of data, but we don't necessarily have any control over how that, <coughs> sorry about that, how that data uh, is processed. And that has caused biases because of the fact that these corpuses have uh, different historical backgrounds to them. But how can we uh, try to adjust these systems mm -hmm. regarding those biases? Uh, what measures can be taken? So I know that there's a lot of focus with interpretability and explainable AI, because of course this issue with black box, which I think is very common specifically in uh, deep neural networks, right? They're the algorithms that are worse in that sense. I know that there's a, there's a lot of focus from different um, conferences. For example, I really follow this conference called FACT, which is Fairness, Accountability, and Transparency of Algorithmic Systems, that they, they, there's a lot of focus on trying to develop systems that could explain why they reach a certain outcome or a certain explanation. So that could be a, a way. There's also like a lot of people that say that perhaps, you know, especially when we are talking about high stakes decisions, perhaps we should not use systems that are really black box. Because if we cannot really explain why there is that decision, maybe it doesn't mean, mean, mean that maybe the system is not as good as we think. Um, because it could maybe act in ways that we are unpredictable and maybe harmful. Um, so that's like, yeah, maybe that should be also something to, to be considered or or perhaps also the, the usage of different methods, perhaps, like maybe by developing an, a system using, like, trying different algorithms and then see which is the one that that shows us um, that is, like, the, the least black box in that sense. I would say that that would be something to look for. And, and in general, for, for bias, yeah, as I mentioned, like, the, the data is very important. And there's also a lot of research that tries to 
get people, the, get the affected people um, part of like the development process. So it's like a way that is called um, like participatory design or co-design. So it means that, yeah, try to expand the idea of who is the people that are, are actually developing the systems because the people that are affected could also bring a lot of knowledge um, about their realities and about their life experience. So trying to bring these people into the, in yeah, that basically that they are, they are not only asked, but that they are actually like really part of, of the team that would be something that could prevent also from having all these all these biases, I would say. Do you think that there is a necessity for minorities to be involved in the creation of these systems for them to be unbiased? Either? I don't know if it's a necessary requirement, but I would say that it will probably help because currently there is almost non it's it, it non-existent <laughs> that this happens. So. I would say that at least getting a different perspective would probably be a, a way to go forward. But yeah, as I was mentioning before, that it's not one thing. It's like many, many things that are, are causing this, this bias. I'm also sometimes also like thinking that perhaps maybe the best sometimes could be to not use AI. Also, like maybe not AI is not the solution for all the problems. I think that there are some problems that could need more interpretable or more maybe rule-based algorithms so perhaps in we don't really necessarily need to Im implement AI in all cases so that should be like something that we should really think through in the beginning like why AI is good in this specific context what are we gaining and what are we missing or what are we risking by by using AI we have been moving towards I think at the beginning we moved towards these deep learning systems that were completely unsupervised. They just allowed a transformer model to go through a very large corpus. But one reason that, for example, ChatGPT uh, has been so positively uh, reviewed so far is because it has had a humongous amount of supervision, human supervision, of people going through the data, asking it different types of questions, mm -hmm. and at any time having any bias, they've pointed that out and through reinforcement learning, they've tried to readjust these type of biases. So perhaps even in a high stakes situation, if we have a semi-supervised systems mm -hmm. that we try to curtail these type of uh, different biases, we could have more impartial systems that are uh, equal for everyone. I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of I know there's like many researchers that are really, um, they are really trying to um, advocate more for more like a AI as a support rather than replacement. Um, because yeah, especially for high stakes, I would say it's quite important to have al some monitoring or some kind of human in the loop, right? To avoid that, to avoid those unpredictable and potential negative outcomes. Um, so, yeah, there's like more and more like this idea that systems should be interpretable, should be transparent and should be, and that there, there should be some, some humans monitoring the process and, and even, yeah, not, com not completely automated, but rather semi-automated as you were saying, or even more as a support for the decisions. And, and I'm quite, yeah, strongly, I would say on for that. <laughs> It is something that I think now we can see in the health sector, especially mm. being adapted because we have different sets of recognition systems used for detecting cancer or uh, different diseases. And they work with an AI, a practitioner works with an AI, and the AI helps the practitioner to recognize perhaps uh, minute things that that practitioner fails to mm -hmm. detect. So it is a system that is helping people uh, and this semi-supervised system helps people to uh, take into consideration things that they themselves might not necessarily see. Mm -hmm. And I think that we, as we move towards a symbiosis between humans mm -hmm. and the use of AI, it's becoming something that as society has to slightly adapt to. Do you think that's that adaptation is something that just happens through time or do we have to 
have more ethical training to be able to take that into consideration always about these biases, all the people that use these different systems? I would say that we there should be some training. Um, you know, as the same reason as we have, like, for example, training for um, being able to drive a car, that you have to pass an exam, maybe, and there's some tests. I would say that if your daily life involves, like, taking decisions on other people, especially if, yeah, they are high-stakes decisions, I think there should be some training on how these systems are actually being trained train on, how can they misfunction, for example, and what can we do to um, to avoid like maybe those un- those um, negative outcomes. And I was going to say something I, w- I forgot. Uh, yeah, well, that I, I know that there's, for example, like current studies that are actually measuring um, where they are actually being trained with judges because I know that some judges, especially in the U.S., in the courts, they use some kind of like support systems. They are not taking maybe the, f- the final decisions, but they are, they are su- being support. And then there's like, um, actually, it's actually currently unknown how exactly they are being used because... Uh, one thing is, for example, to get like an advice, but how are they actually taking that advice? Because there's, I think that there's some research that that says that people tend to may tend to over trust the AI, especially in situations, for example, perhaps that they are tired, that maybe they could be, imagine, hungry, for example, they could maybe in those vulnerable situations, for for example, tend to over rely on the AI, for example, and. And that's something I think we should study much more. Like, when, like, w- when are we really relying on AI or not? Even for these support systems, how much? Like, for example, if a doctor gets like a potential diagnosis, how much does it trust that one? Especially, imagine the case of a junior doctor that doesn't maybe have the life experience. How do they actually really take in that advice into account? That's something that I would say that more studies are needed to really understand what is the like more or less like the psychological part around that. Like how are we really taking these recommendations into account? But don't you see the potentials that as these systems become better and better, they could start taking high stakes decisions for themselves as well? Mm. Maybe I mean there's a lo- there's a lot of debate I know b- about this because I I also talk with for example uh, some of my colleagues because I work in the, uh, the, de- the department of computer science and many of my colleagues they they really they love AI and they develop it themselves and they are like really enthusiastic and I know many of them that they would tell me oh but you know what risk are we taking by not using AI you know if the AI systems turn out to be better than people for example and and I don't know I think like at least for me current systems as we have it right now i would say that they they could be pretty good but they are um they are not as effective as humans especially for those high stakes decisions and also there's a big problem with responsibility so in the case that these ai systems start to make the final decision and this decision can hurt hurt someone or even like you know for example in the case of self-driving cars and kill a human who who is responsible for that action? And I would say that if there is a human behind, then it would be a bit easier to to make that because that person would be the responsible to take that. But if it's an AI system, then the question is like, who is it the responsible? Is it the company developing it, the developers, the CEO, the people that were you know, collecting data, people that were training? It's, it's such a big system. It's like a... It, like AI systems, what they have in comparison with other technologies that they, is that they are very complex because there's many layers that are involved, right? And it's very hard to pinpoint like who is the one that took that decision that influenced that later thing, right? Um, so that would, I would say that, yeah, like letting AI do the final decision, I would say it would be a bit dangerous because then when you have to trace back, uh, I, w- I, I, I mean, I don't know. At least nowadays, I would be a bit skeptical that it it would be easy to find to find that. That's why I I'm really advocating for the support, so that there is always a human somehow responsible. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to self-driving cars, there's this element of 
we are not still necessarily on the so-called level five fully self-driving yet, but uh, statistically speaking, the potentials of AI are a traffic system that is much less dangerous mm -hmm. compared to a, a human driver, uh, human drivers uh, driving their cars. And yet we are, I think, generally speaking, people are more skeptical towards AI and demand this sense of perfection towards it. Mm -hmm. Even though using AI might improve the system, even if it has imperfections. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, do you think that, and you mentioned the complexities mm -hmm. of that, but even if we move towards uh, more capable AIs, how should we decide who is responsible? That's a very complex yeah, question that I'm putting is. in front of you. I do apologize, <laughs> but uh, yeah. That's quite hard. Yeah, yeah. I know that there's. I also heard this argument of the self-driving cars, and and then, for example, I also wonder what would happen if um, there is a very unexpected situation, like for example, many of these perhaps self-driving cars are trained. Imagine in a place like California, right, Silicon Valley, and that has a specific climate specific like the environment looks a specific way and then imagine taking that system to a place that looks completely different right um, and then it could be that the the car doesn't know how to recognize something well because it's not trained in that environment and then it may mm, yeah perhaps like act in ways that we don't foresee and then the question is like who is responsible for for that and that's that's why yeah I, I would say that I we, we should be very very careful and i know that maybe we have different criteria for humans but i also think that humans we have at least nowadays much like our intelligence is much more general than ai systems ai systems have mostly narrow intelligence they could be very very good in some domains but they are also terrible at others and for example i know that there's like the case of general generalization i know for example that um, they were comparing how much an AI learns, for example, what is a cat or a dog, for example, by images, and then they were, were comparing with kids. And, for example, like human kids, like they, they can really learn very fast to recognize, for example, between one thing or another, whereas for an AI, it took a very long time to train it. So, in my opinion, is like maybe perhaps we should let humans do things that we are better at with as humans. And maybe the AI do things that maybe as humans we have more problems with, such as, for example, repetitive tasks, tasks that are very prone to being, for example, boring and to prone to error because we get very tired of that. For example, like the nowadays there's a lot of use of AI as robots, right? For example, for industries. And I would say that probably quite many people are pretty happy of that because it's a task that is like, it's boring, it's physical, um, it's like it's it's very very demanding for the uh, employee and and then in that case maybe an ai system could be good but maybe there's other tasks that i think like humans could nece necessarily they are not that bad at and maybe ai an ai replacing that i would say i would be a bit more skeptical that could be totally like uh yeah a better gain Again, yeah, I, I'm more of the of the AI support rather than AI re replacement. Mm. And how much would you say we as programmers should take into consideration about what we are trying to create and the consequences of it? I mean, I, the reason I asked the question about self-driving cars is that uh, if someone develops an AI that uh, is a self-driving AI uh should they take into consideration that I will be responsible, I will might be held responsible if this car crashes, or are they just developing a software for the car? Uh, for what I know also is that many times, many developers, perhaps they are not really involved in they're not really involved in the whole system is like a part of it right exactly and I many mean. times also yeah, it's true it's like it's hard because they don't really know many times why are they developing this and i know for example there was a case some years ago with google that many people they were developing some kind of like facial recognition systems and they didn't know exactly why and then they turned out to be like systems that they were used i think for military drones and then actually many people decided to quit because they were like they didn't want to be involved in that um so of course i think like 
like companies should really inform their workers exactly on how the systems that they develop may be used for, especially if there's uh, if it's for a very different usage than the one that they thought in the beginning. I think they they maybe would like to to be of course informed in that. Um, and but how much responsibility should we put on developers? I mean, it's it's hard to say. I would say that. Of course, developers have a big impact because they are the ones that th that have a lot of impact on deciding how the system is going to be developed, how it's going to act later. Um, but also the people, that maybe the employers, <laughs> the people that actually like maybe have the the company should be also the ones that have a, a big of a say to and also like carry responsibility in case that there's a. Yeah, system not behaving as expected. So perhaps just to relieve ourselves from any responsibility, we say the companies. The companies yeah, responsible. Should, <laughs> yeah. should be held responsible. Uh, but uh, now I think that it's a very complex question that has so many different ethical aspects to it. And uh, I was uh, discussing the same issue with a number of different developers and. Uh, the subject of uh, AIs that can uh, be quite offensive and create offensive music came mm -hmm. up. Uh, and th the response has been mostly that it's just we have to have whole discussions throughout society and try to develop things with uh, considerations towards these debates that are just ongoing in society because we have to especially in subjective matters such as music or mm -hmm. art, uh, it's just simply a matter of the zeitgeist of society to a certain degree at this very same time. But it's very hard for many developers, I think, to navigate through uh, these situations. Uh, now let's mention the perhaps the hardest part for many developers. Uh, we mentioned uh, autonomous weapons mm -hmm. a number of times. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we see now, I think, in Ukraine, we can say that it's the full uh, first time that we see a full-out use of uh, autonomous weapons on from both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, it has been interesting because at the beginning of the war, when uh, the Ukrainian side started using mm. the autonomous weapons, uh, the m media were relatively positively suited towards it and afterwards when Russia started using mm. them, they started realizing what a horrific <laughs> thing yeah. autonomous drones can be. Uh, mm -hmm. how, what safeguards should we think of when we think of especially uh, autonomous drones and killer drones uh, in terms of wars? Should uh, There are talks of creating systems that completely ban them or mm. limit their uses. Yeah, I mean, this is this is very complex. I don't have like a very good answer. Of course, in my opinion, I think we should not <laughs> use these systems at all. But of course, I may sign, I may sound naive too, because then someone could tell me, oh, okay, but if then there comes a country with those weapons and start attacking you, then how do you defend yourself? So from, I would say that maybe from more from a defense perspective, perhaps I could s justify more. That, um, but but I would say that this becomes like an arms race, literally. So it just makes it even more like worse and worse and worse. So yeah, I may sound utopian <laughs> or idealist, but of course I think like yeah, in my opinion, this system should be out of the context because yeah, like then it seems like then everything we talk about ethics, it's like it doesn't make any sense right here because we are really not following any ethical protocols at all because it's basically the intention of these systems is to create harm, right? And one of the main ethical principles is do no harm. So it becomes a very different ethics, which I'm not that familiar with. I would say, um, yeah, I, I read a little bit about the AI in use um, in the military, but it's a little bit out of my domain. So, yeah, I, I don't have maybe like a lot of knowledge to talk that about that in depth. Yeah, I mean, I just want to mention that I think there is this sense that some people say that uh, it might be naive to think that we should not use them because others might use them against us. But 
there are those instances and glimpses of hope that humanity says, okay, this is just too dangerous mm. for anyone to use and in terms of chemical weapons, for example. Yeah. Uh, general conventions have been created to completely ban their uses and they have been relatively successful. Mm-hmm. So I think with consideration to how dangerous these systems can be, uh, there is a possibility that we can create conventions uh, mm-hmm. in the long term to stop the use uh, on a general basis of speaking from all sides. Mm-hmm. Then I will sign that. <laughs> <laughs> uh now, uh, I think we can move away from weapons and uh, more towards uh, the sense of uh, believing that AIs have come to life to a certain degree. We mm-hmm. humans have a very high tendency for anthropomorphization. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this uh, Google developer that was of the very sincere belief that the uh, yep. uh, Lambda mm-hmm. system had become sentient. Yeah. And as we move towards more and more systems that are capable of, uh, to a certain degree, even persuading rem- uh, human beings that they are sentient and they're conscious, we are facing a question uh, of, as developers, of course, we are aware that these systems are in no way whatsoever conscious, but how do we communicate that to humans and our over-tendency to believe that things that are not necessarily alive are alive? Yeah. So I think, in my opinion, um, science fiction maybe have contributed a lot, right, to this idea that <laughs> we have like a, an AI system. Even sometimes I'm even a bit like skeptical of even the term AI because I know it's used for a because it's a catchy term, but we don't really have AI right now as we as we think of general intelligence, right? Like all the AI systems are more like narrow and used in very specific sectors. Um, so of course, like in this sense, like yeah, like movies like Terminator or like other science fiction uh, books and, uh, and movies have, in that sense, harm a lot. I would say the population perspective because they have made it very grandiose and very much like making people maybe more scared. Um, maybe some people also made it them more curious. But I would say that when you talk with general population, I would say like it makes them more maybe more scared in that sense and. And I would say that, um, yeah, that's quite sad because um, what we should promote instead is like this education idea on understanding what are the current AI systems that we are doing, what could we have done so far, and yeah, as we were mentioning before, like the impacts that are already causing, the effects, what's good, what's bad, what can be, what can go wrong, for example, with, with these systems. Um, I think that, yeah, like as you were mentioning, this, uh, this tendency to anthropomorphize is unfortunately quite common. And, and I think we are far from that because, yeah, even in, for example, ChatGPT, like we cannot really say that ChatGPT, for example, really understands as a human does. Like it collects very good data and it makes very good sense of this. But the idea of understanding, it's a quite complex cognitive process that, I would say that this system is like not really not really doing that, and there's like quite many examples that you can see that the system is not really understanding in that sense. It's a, it has a a more like maybe superficial, at least. In, uh, I mean, at this stage now, I don't know. I cannot really talk about what will happen in ten, twenty years. I don't really know. But at the current stages now, I would say that we are we are a bit far away from having conscious systems. That's the I think the. Uh, the part that's so interesting about it is that the we are far from having a sort of any sort of general intelligence mm-hmm. AI. Uh, and yet, even from the 60s, the ELISA system, mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the first uh, chatbots uh, in the world, if we uh, call it that, uh, made people believe that it, was it had some sort of a consciousness. Mm-hmm. So... Don't you think that there is a slight concern that people start believing these AIs, uh, as you mentioned, many call them parrots, basically, because mm. they make some sort of a mashup of different words mm. uh, that make complete sense, but in reality are not in any way uh, understanding what exactly what they are saying is. They just mm. make words that make sense to us. Yeah, I think that, for example, through education and critical thinking, that could be at least 
help to to make people more conscious about what are what those systems are and what can they accomplish and and maybe even the the systems themselves like yeah for example this chat gpt like maybe perhaps like show like warning messages <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think chat gpt is relatively <laughs> better compared to most systems chatbots do that but what we're coming to is basically the education system in the whole world needs to change and adapt to teaching people more about AI. I think so. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I would say the problem many education systems are still, like, not really much up to date with current technologies. Like, technologies go faster. The same thing with laws, right? Like, that, the technology yeah. always goes a bit faster than the law. Um, but with education, I think, like, it wouldn't be that complicated to already have that from, as I was saying, like, from already, like, maybe late primary school. And, and to start talk, talking about the systems. I know, for example, in there's this uh, course uh, by, I think it's like Helsinki University called the Elements of AI, which is a course that is designed for the general population to learn about AI. So there's already like some initiatives that are taking place on regarding this. Um, the only thing is that, I don't know if governments would be up to making this as a more for, for everyone, but, but I, I believe they should. Hmm. And it's a very interesting thought to think that governments will need to adapt to be able to create citizens that have that way of thinking about AI. Uh, but we have to, I think, become human beings on a general basis. Uh, their understanding about technology has to become much more developed uh, for them to be able to adapt to the new societies that we are trying to create. But also, there is this element that governments in developing countries, we see that our lives are heavily impacted by technology, uh, and yet many people in the world, in underdeveloped countries and developing countries, don't have any access to any of these technologies. Mm -hmm. What measures should be taken by the governments of developed countries, perhaps even companies in developed countries, to help those countries that are developing to be able to catch up and not be left behind. True, yeah. But this is a bit similar to what I was saying before about the global north and south, right? That you can see that almost all the development takes place in the global north. And and then, yeah, the global south is left a bit, like, is quite much left behind. <laughs> and maybe even, there's there's even some research that, that says that maybe sometimes even it could be that the, the global south countries could be used maybe as a way, like, as a testing place but that would be like rather unethical <laughs> in many in many aspects so yeah i think like that maybe this like w w perhaps i don't know if it should come from the global north but already the maybe the governments from the global south should uh start thinking how how can we how can they use these systems for a democratic way always like <laughs> not to make this like the current uh, authoritarian systems even worse and and maybe even also like same thing like having it as as part of education, and maybe even have initiatives maybe from the global north to to promote this education. I would say that rather than bring the systems, it's better to rather help teaching about the systems or helping them develop them how to use it. I know I know that there's like this or this saying that says that don't you know like don't give a man a fish like teach them how to fish right so maybe we should apply the same principle here instead of like giving the technology there like maybe it's better to explain uh, the means on how to obtain it but of course this technology is also like uh, very expensive to build um not only because of the actually the materials that are used because many of them use like very like rare for example minerals which are expensive but also the ways to train them since you need to train them many of them on a lot of data and on a lot of quality data that requires like a lot of energy and resources and and maybe that could mean that some countries don't have the capacity for that so it will in that sense create more inequalities but i think that there is this and maybe i am slightly too optimistic <laughs> but there is this of course this very negative side of more authoritarianism and more control over the citizens uh, and incursion upon their privacy but could this could 
the world governments in developing countries and democracies try to give this uh, AI capabilities, perhaps uh, many of them are cloud-based, so they give access to them as some sort of aid. So basically they give access to them uh, to developing countries so that they could uh, improve efficiency and fight corruption, and they're very good at and efficient for going through massive amounts of data and help become more efficient in the processes. And we see that, for example, I think the Gates Foundation is working with uh, electrical grids in Africa mm -hmm. uh, and improving electrical grids. So we mm -hmm. see that there are those glimpses of if it's specifically directed towards certain sectors, it can truly bring some positive effects. I think potentially, yeah. But it could potentially also happen that um, maybe the some of the things that we create in in the in the global north are not applicable to global south. I know, for example, there's like a study I read like some years ago from this from the FACT conference that they discussed the concept of fairness. I think it was in the US versus in India because they said that this main concept of how to distribute the, for example, like resources in a country in a fair way, it could take like, it, it could be debated, like there's no one way to do it. So then I wonder if it could happen also that maybe other systems that are made for a specific context perhaps it it's doesn't necessarily translate that well in other contexts. So it depends a lot on which kind of AI yeah, system we are talking about. Um, I know, for example, there's like even issues with like, um, not only with ethical principles, but for example, languages, like maybe a system that, you know, like it's using one language, maybe you translate it and it's not translatable exactly the same. So it requires some work. It's not impossible, but it, it definitely requires like, um, I would say like very much like understanding of the context that we are, that we want to implement these EA systems on. It's possible, but yeah, it just, I would say it's not as easy as to say like, okay, I'm just using the system in Sweden, I will use it in Gambia. I think like, yeah, we should really consider the kind of situation that we have there, like political context, historical context, uh, environmental context, yeah, it's so a bit a more complex. Slightly more home-based situation where it's tailored to each uh, country. Exactly, yeah. Maybe the fundamentals could be the same, but then it should be more trained or better, like optimize or improve for each specific scenario. Yeah. Uh, we are moving towards a more autonomous world. Uh, and uh, again, ChatGPT is a slight glimpse and uh, mm -hmm. uh, GPT-3, OpenAI's GPT-3, which ChatGPT is based on, has also this codex system yeah. that is very good at programming. And there's a belief in economics that as productivity increases, uh, so does uh, the demand and so new jobs are created. But there is this concern that AI might start taking over many jobs that exist mm -hmm. and even if it's not necessarily a general purpose AI that can take over everything that we do, it might take over many low-paying jobs that are simpler. This brings our society the question of uh, what should people do in a society mm -hmm. of the future which might have many fewer jobs for mm -hmm. a growing, relatively growing population? Yeah, no, there is a, lo a lot of concern about that. I would say that maybe it has been overall like worse sell than it was actually in reality because I think that AI could be very good at, uh, at yeah, as I would say, yes, at narrow tasks, at tasks that are repetitive and boring. But there's also some tasks that one can consider that to be like, for example, let's say like cleaning, cleaning floors. And actually, maybe there's not that many AIs that are currently doing that. And, and then, yeah, like maybe that, you know, like we, that... I don't think it will be as fast as we think, maybe this replacement, because I, I think we are starting to realize also that there is more tasks that are harder to automate than we think. Uh, but of course, there's a lot of tasks that are already being, like, as I was mentioning before, like robots in industries, for example, right? Or like, I know that there's like these like Amazon warehouses that they're almost like autonomous, right? Or even in the case of transportation, and that can happen, for example. So then it becomes more important that... Um, that people are maybe trained on maybe what can they do around this new 
system? Like, for example, like imagining the case of, of transport, what could the people that are maybe taking the job, what could they do? Could they do other tasks that are, for example, maybe more regarding monitoring or could they go to another sector that they m maybe they could be more needed? Um, but of course, that usually involves some training and some education and, and it will be even more and more that this will be even more needed, I think, with time. Um, so that should come. So that's why I was saying that I think government should really start doing that from a very early like age, so that like already kids can think about like how do I want my future to be, uh, because it can happen that maybe like certain jobs that are nowadays possible maybe it's not possible anymore in the future. Yeah, I mean there is this element we see. I think in the United States now the reason. It has occurred in the United States because ever since the 1970s, many jobs have moved uh, to uh, because of globalization to many other countries. But there is this sense of discontent that a person could finish high school and find mm -hmm. a job that would support them throughout mm -hmm. their lives, uh, perhaps in the 70s or 80s. Yeah. And now they need to go to university. They mm -hmm. need to have a higher education yeah. and more advanced training. Yeah. And there is this discrepancy that is being created between those who pursue higher education and those who enter the job markets at a very earlier age. What do you think we should, should it be just upon the governments to address that or should there be created other nets to protect these people as well? Yeah, maybe the perhaps the companies that are making all this automation, maybe they <laughs> perhaps they should be the ones maybe that are also thinking about their societal impacts and then uh, perhaps start like thinking how can we make people maybe adapt to this new change. Um, I'm thinking now, for example, I know that there was like many years ago, there was the job of, for example, the people that made like train tickets, like they, they have to do it manually or like airplane tickets and then all these jobs were removed because we did it digitally, right? So something like that can happen also now. But in a way, I there's also like the belief that AI could also create many jobs maybe around that. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be concerned about removing jobs because it can just mean it creates jobs but in another way that we haven't expected or in another sector that we, we don't know. And there's also, I know that there's some discussion on using like uh, having universal basic income. I don't know if that's a bit utopian to <laughs> <laughs> idea, but there um, there's like some people that believe that maybe by the extra gains that they can have in more being making some sectors more productive, we could use those gains as a universal basic income. But I don't know if that's really something that will happen or not, because in my opinion, I think that m most of the people that get the benefits, they tend to maybe not spend it in that way, they spend it in other ways, maybe, so um, I don't know if that's a, I mean, I, I would argue that it would be potentially pretty good, but I don't know in practice if that that's something that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Now, we begin this conversation uh, with the importance of ethics in AI. Uh, let's discuss the impacts of, general impacts that you think are going to come for humanity your concerns about the future of AI and humanity to finish it. What would you say are the positive long-term effects that you look forward to and what are the biggest concerns that you have? I think positive. I think AI has the potential to be like to support many human decisions. And I mean, if they can argue for like explain why they take that decision, I think it could be it could be very useful, and we are already seeing some benefits. For example, mm. in the medical realm, in education, for example, in like helping teachers to, for example, spot which students need to maybe perhaps that they need extra help um, if they are like directed towards towards them, for example, um, or also, for example, in governments in in trying to make to maybe to distribute the resources more um, equitable through society or, for example, I don't know, to detect um, tax fraud. So it could be, like, for me, like, w in support, uh, in supporting decisions, it, it has, like, a lot of, like, potential benefits. But, yeah, we should also be 
careful because um, it could exacerbate social inequalities that are already existing and all these problems with bias, uh, racial bias, gender bias, for example. Um, they are like problems that we can see nowadays and that it, and AI systems could even <laughs> make them worse, I think, since they learn on current systems that are basically very biased <laughs> by themselves. Um, then maybe also, well, I don't know, I, I'm, I think we are a bit far from that, but in the case that, for example, like, if one day AIs get to be more autonomous, maybe there could be also some concerns on what happens if we, you know, we cannot really um, stop them from acting. But I don't know. I'm I'm not so worried about this point for now. I think like it's more for me the problem of exacerbating inequalities that I would be mostly concerned on. I think that's the one. I think that yeah, for me is the most scary at this point. <laughs> Just one last question on the question of control, perhaps on the more general AIs. Uh, do you think, don't you think, because we discussed that we have to have, be very concerned from a very early stage in these developments that these AIs are, uh, the negative effects of them are well thought through. Uh, I think that there is a general sense between especially some groups in academia that are very concerned about the general purpose AI suddenly uh, being created, not necessarily even uh, by uh, an absolute intention, but because of a creation of different systems and all of them being put together. What measures do you think that sh should be taken if a general purpose AI uh, is being created? And what things do we have to uh, take into consideration uh, to remain in control? Oh, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's hard because, as I was saying, like I think we are not that close to that yet. But trying to imagine that it could happen, um, I think, like I don't know if we could. So you mentioned like it's already created, right? We are not in the process of creating; it's already there. Let's say uh, we are just like five years away from it. Okay. Uh, so mm -hmm. we have a timeline. It is coming, but uh, it's not necessarily there yet because I think if it is there yet, it's going to be really harder to control. Yeah, yeah, so I think so. Uh, yeah. Let's say uh, it's just uh, we have a slight amount of time, but mm. uh, what measures should we think we should take into consideration, immediate measures to have uh, control over this system? So, um, yeah, first of all, trying to see that the, well, the system is still, like, behaving within these, like, ethical principles. I would say that they're keeping the, like, deciding which principles we want to, we want to enforce and trying to, to keep this, like, um, yeah, to, to make this, like, very clear. Also, like, in terms of, of security, I think we should always have, like, a potential like redress point like what happens when the system doesn't act as we think there should always be like some potential route to maybe disconnect the system <laughs> or <laughs> to make something that so the system stops acting um, and then yeah and then maybe also uh, yeah deciding when like when yeah, when, when should these systems be implemented or not? And then, yeah, have have really like a very clear plan of action on on that. That's why, I th yeah, that's why I really emphasize that this should be taking like from very, very early stages and not to leave that to potentially that it can happen. Yeah, hopefully AI will be a positive force. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> for yeah, yeah. A very long time, uh, but I want to thank you for participating. In thank this you podcast. very much for inviting me. Yeah, this was uh, uh, enjoyable. Uh, uh, absolutely, so mm. it was a very interesting discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you.